Welcome to Not Your Average Operator. Episode one is Paul Mellon McFadden with you, recording from the Middle East. What are you going to get on this podcast? Well, we're aiming to bring you humility, honesty, and action. We've got three guys who get together and share conversations. Between the three of us, you've got five branches of allied military with 50 years of military service. You've got 121 years of life experience, 10 combat tours. We record from three locations on the planet, three different time zones covering 10 hours across the planet. You've got fathers to three children, husbands, sons, and brothers. And we try to give you guys a unique look into the everyday challenges that life and military service brings to both active duty and veterans. So join Mike, Raf, and myself as we dive into some of the big questions in life, sharing challenges and situations. We try to extract frameworks and a few lessons, share insights, breakdowns, and victories on what has worked and how we've learned from what hasn't. The podcast, not just about the military, the life experiences include with special needs family members and other regular life challenges. So episode one, we're going to be covering off on what's the biggest setback in life from the three different guys. You're going to hear one example each of a professional breakdown, personal breakdown, and a family breakdown. Now these chats, we don't share what we're going to talk about beforehand. We don't take notes. It's all unscripted. And, you know, we hear it for the first time right with you. So without further ado, episode one, what's your biggest setback from Not Your Average Operator? Not Your Average Operator. Okay, great. Welcome back to Not Your Average Operator. We've got Paul Mellon McFadden here sitting in the dusty Middle East. We've got uh, Mike. How you going, Mike? Hey, how's it going from the East Coast, man? Nice and wet out here. A little bit different than the uh, the dry sandbox. but. And we've got uh, Raph over on the West Coast. How are you going there, Raph? Good, man. Good, mate. Uh, just enjoying the uh, mountains of Spokane out here and the uh, lush mountains. Plenty of, uh, plenty of trees. Well, it's only about 40 Celsius here, which is like, what's that, 110 in your language? You crazy guys yeah, over there. It's hotter than it needs to be. That's, that's what it is. Yeah, there you go. So I've, uh, you know, we've been going over a bit of content. And I've got to say that uh, over the last week or so, I just find my, my mind during the day really sharp, thinking about some of the stuff we've talked about, other, other things, thinking about content and uh, lessons to bring up and I've been applying some of the stuff you guys have been telling me pretty much day to day. I've been having some great chats with people. So thanks very much for that. We thought that uh, today, given the time of challenge the the world is facing, you know, we've got this massive setback being the coronavirus and the impacts on people in health and finances, economic, psychological impacts that we would just share with you guys uh, a setback, a major setback each and try and draw some lessons and see if we can't, get some uh, information, some frameworks out there for our audience, for you guys to apply and put into your own lives. And uh, I'm certainly really looking forward to hearing what you two have to share with us tonight. So without any further ado, how about we kick off with you there, Raph? What was your big challenge or setback that you had? Yeah, thanks, thanks for passing that over. Um, so 
my the one I want to talk to you and I and I just chose because I feel like a lot of veterans can relate because they probably had a goal they were chasing um, and just kind of fell flat on their face after putting a lot of hard work but um, so you know as some of the audience knows I used to fly Blackhawks in the army and I primarily grew up in an assault battalion so there's different ways you can kind of fly different types of genres you can fly uh, in the helicopter business um, but I particularly grew up and kind of stayed in the assault battalions because I liked it. I liked what we did. Uh, we supported um, infantry, special operations. You know, we did hasty missions. We did vehicle motor interdictions. It's just all the stuff you dream about when you're a kid, right? So as you're growing up in that environment, there's a couple of routes if you wanted to get a little bit more uh, specialized. And um, there's several special units out there, but one particular is the special missions unit for aviation that I, eventually did an assessment and selection for it, and I did not make it. And it, it would just be as easy to sit there and say, well, you know, you didn't make it. Tough cookie, move on. It's just the way that the cookie crumbles. But man, I gave my heart and soul for almost a year preparing just, to, just for selection. And when I didn't make it, it, it was a slow, gradual thing. It wasn't immediate, but I essentially fell into a depression um, that affected not just myself and my outlook, but I mean, just it kind of seeped into my personal life um, and specifically my marriage, my intimacy, uh, the way I kind of saw perspectives, the way I kind of went after goals after that. It was, it was just, it was a difficult, dark time. Um, it sucked. It really, really did. So I think it's fair to say, just with saying that, that no matter what you do professionally or your personal life or whatever, you know, they say you have four, you have your social life, your professional life, your, your life, and then your, like your relationship, right? Every single one affects the other. And no matter how much you try to have that balance, there's always going to be one that filters into the other. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're talking about, what, you know, Paul and I have experienced, right? Well, I, you, you nailed it, man. I think the key is balance just in life in general. And most men, because we're so goal oriented, it's really easy to lose sight of that. It's easy to lose sight of that imbalance, right? Cause you're cheap. You're so into achieving this one thing to get what the title, the accolade, whatever it is that you, you kind of almost miss the fact that your biggest cheerleaders being is being ignored, right? Your wife, your friends, whatever it is, um, which is absolutely what happened in my case. But uh, just to kind of wrap this up, so I didn't make the cut. I ended up going on to a medevac unit, which, and not no, I mean, I have plenty of friends that were dedicated medevac pilots, but as an assault guy, primarily at the time, and it was kind of stupid of me to think this way, but I really thought, man, and I hate to say this, but at the time I thought being a medevac pilot was beneath being an assault pilot, right? I always thought that like, that's where all the cool kids are. We were out there getting after it, trying to you know, take down the enemy. I didn't want to be the guy that was basically swooping up behind after all the shooting was done and picking up the injured, which is, man, now having served under, you know, having a deployment under that, I, there is so much that can be said to a medevac unit because um, they, man, they go through some tough stuff. But anyways, at the time, that was my, my, my stance and all that. Yeah, this but, really speaks to you, like your frame of mind at the, at that time, right? The impact of missing that goal you were going for, Raph. You know, you could be talking to, a highly specialized Blackhawk helicopter pilot has achieved amazing things in his life. He's, he's gone after a, a shooting star and he's landed in a role that's otherwise amazing. And this is probably a sign of what you're exactly talking about, right? 
Yeah, I, I mean, it was, it was tough. I felt inadequate. I felt stuck in my life. I felt like for some reason, because I couldn't achieve this one thing, which it wasn't easy. I mean, I'm not going to give out numbers, but there was a lot of people. And I think maybe three dudes made it. And, you know, I don't know, 80 dudes or something stupid. I mean, it was, and the thing is, at the time I couldn't see it, but looking back, I mean, I was standing shoulder to shoulder with some straight up savages. I mean, straight up savages. And obviously some of those guys didn't make it as well. So, but again, at the time I was kind of in the dumps. It really affected my marriage. Um, it affected a lot of parts of me. And I came to a point in about a year when I was kind of fighting, spiraling down this depression. It was actually my wife who, who brought it up first and said, hey, I think you're depressed. And I was like, you're crazy, I'm not depressed. But she was right, I was. Uh, the telltale signs were there. I lost interest in the things that I normally find interest in. Uh, I was quick to resign whenever I had any sort of um, unpleasantness in front of me. I was just quick to be like, oh, it's not meant to be, right? Instead of just kind of forging ahead and going, screw it, I'm gonna suffer through this and see it on the other side. It just, it wasn't, I started to become somebody that I was, that it wasn't me because I had tethered this archetype that I was trying to achieve. I was trying to achieve this title. And I thought to myself, I had convinced myself that in order to be like a meat eater, so to speak, I had to be in this unit. I had to have this title. It was after this sense of introspection that I started to realize that it's complete, that if it's, I gave myself in completely untrue. I had this mantra in my head that completely was untrue, right? You don't have to be in these units to be a meat eater. You can still be a badass and do, there's so many people out there that can, they probably could be, you know, SMU guys that aren't in those units. They just chose a different path. They're probably doctors. They're probably whatever it is, man. It just, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to define you. But the, the thing that I used to really turn this thing around was I started taking inventory of the people that were around me. And I started to realize, you know, everyone had their own little titles. I have friends that are doctors, friends that are police officers, special operations, but every walk of life, right? My wife. And I realized once you peel all that stuff back, all the titles, all the nuances of the residents, all the superficial stuff, and you get to the core of the individual, we all share the same attributes, a lot of us, a lot of people in my, in my circle, to include you guys, and you start to realize, man, I'm rubbing shoulders with these amazing people. So maybe I am amazing. Maybe I do have this potential to be great. Maybe that one thing that failed just wasn't meant to be. It was a hard pill to swallow, but it, it took me years, and I'll be honest, I, mean, I sit here now and it's easier now because I'm sitting here in this place that I absolutely love with my son that I absolutely love that wouldn't have been born had I been to that unit. That's just a fact because things wouldn't work out that way. He wouldn't be the little swimmer that swam into the, to the egg. My wife and I, we're both convinced we would have been divorced. It's just the way it is um, because of the time that we spent apart that we would have spent apart, right? Because the op tempo in these units are insane. They're, ab they're insane. And I know, Mike, you're very familiar. Um, it just, I'm here and I've realized that I wouldn't be here in this place that I absolutely love had I actually made the path that I was trying to dredge forward through. Um, but, but the biggest takeaways for me and the things that helped me through that dark time was I, I came to realize that it's not about the title, it's about the body of work, right? I still put in the work. I didn't make it, but dude, I was still running through the forest like an idiot. Um, and it was good to know that I, that I could that I could accomplish those things as a man and I could put my body through that stuff. So if I ever need to walk, you know, 40 kilometers with 70 pounds of weight, I know I can do it. Do I want to do it? No, but I know I could. I think it's, 
definitely how you have to look at it is if you're sitting still and you get up to try something, you try the point of trying and you take one step forward, you're one step farther ahead than, than you were. As small as that is, man, that's exactly how you have to look at yourself because you're not looking at it that way. You, you, you're trying out for this unit. It's just like, I have to be there at the end. There's no question. And everything that I've got is going into it. And the only acceptable answer is I have to get to the end. I have to be there on graduation day. I have to be there to accept that title. What you're not thinking of is the moment. You're not thinking about, man, what did I do today? What did I learn? You're talking about being there with these, these other stellar pilots and everybody else that's there to try out. And it's just like, you're learning things from them. They're learning from you. You're growing at an exponential rate. And you're, but you're not thinking of that at the end of the day. It's just, man, today really sucked. I'm really tired. I'm exhausted. What's tomorrow going to be like? Am I still going to be here? Like you're not reflecting at that point yet, but it's very important that you have to stop daily and be like, man, what did I learn today? Like I'm better off than I was yesterday. You know, and it goes back to those mantras of like, what are you really practicing? You said your mantra was not realistic, right? It's literally, you know, we always had a saying, you know, for like special operations training and stuff, it's so hard and all these things. I'm not worried about making it to graduation. I'm not worried about the next phase. I'm, I'm going to breakfast right now. And once I get to breakfast, I'm going to eat breakfast. All right. After that, Hey, what's the next, what, what am I doing now? What's the next task? You know, I, you got to live for the moment. You got to live in it and learn what am I supposed to be learning right now? You know, and it just keeps going. You look too far forward. You kind of lose the big picture about what you're supposed to be doing there. Pretty amazing, Raph. You know, you put yourself out there to take on something that's clearly you're already in a highly specialized field when you, when you started. And that personal improvement that you're deriving along the way, it's clearly the journey is the journey. The destination doesn't matter. You know, like I met you, I guess, a couple of years after this here in, uh, in the Middle East. And you're just this high energy, friggin' super capable, highly professional guy. You just, you know, you got this attitude about you, you know, and clearly some of that is what pulled you out by your bootstraps here. It, it absolutely, I mean, it was. And, um, when, when after at the backside of that, I'd realized that there's no excuse for, for never doing the hard work, whether you win or lose, always put in the hard work. I mean, I just, cause it always pays off. I mean, I didn't make it, but then I, but think about it. I met you. Now we're doing this podcast. Awesome. So, I mean, it's just, there's just, you, you just have to stay the course and you have to keep putting in the hard work. I'm hearing some awesome stuff there about inventory, the people you're surrounding yourself with, staying the course, doing the work. It's a journey. It's not a destination. That's awesome, man. All right. So if we're uh, ready, we'll, we'll throw over to Mike. You know, Mike, what was your big challenge or setback? When we talked about this, there's lots of different things that popped in my head. You know, 10, 15 things. I mean, I think everybody can really look at something and be like, yeah, it's definitely a setback. For me, it's... I broke it down into compartmentalizing emotions. Okay, what I mean by that, when I was a young kid, I lost my father when I was 18 to lung cancer. So growing up without a father and needing that father figure in your life to ask the hard questions, hey, dad, what do I do? You know, all those things go through your head. Uh, family stress, things going on. Relationship stress, huge. 
my background in special operations had me gone 260 days a year. And throughout five deployments, I've been overseas almost three years total. Uh, Near-death experiences, I've almost bit the bullet and flirted with the, uh, with the dark one almost six times, Heli almost helicopter crashes. I ran over an IED twice. There was a pressure plate that more than likely should have went off. Uh, I've blacked out underwater and sank down like 30 feet under a ship at, uh, at night. Um, I've been held at gunpoint by terrorists that had me dead to rights. And for whatever reason, I was able to walk away. Uh, so a lot of things go through your life. These are some of mine. When you start reflecting on these things, you start asking why. Why am I still here? Why did this happen to me? Why is my father gone? Why was I robbed of this experience? Why was I almost killed? Why am I still here? What, what's my purpose? You know, all of these things kind of go in. Why is my marriage struggling? Why is my family struggling? In the military, we're taught to shut up and focus on the problem, compartmentalize, because the mission at hand is what's most important. And the military, I would say for the most part, is it's a machine that we can all agree on that's built for war, period. There's, there's different things that are in there that are built for family and support, but the primary is, hey, you're a tool and you're gonna get used for this, for this. it's war. So literally having that mentality beat into you for years, okay? Me, I've been in almost, you know, almost 14 years. It's, hey, don't focus on that right now. Shut up. We have this to do and keep going, you know. This all culminated about three years ago. I, I went to bed one night and felt amazing. I was happy. I, I had a pretty good outlook and I was just happy where I was. I woke up the next day and it literally felt like my soul was slowly being torn from me. Uh, I cried for four days straight. I couldn't control it. As I'm talking to you guys right now, I would be crying and I'd be apologizing, say, hey, I'm sorry, I, I don't know why I'm crying, it's just happening. And these waves, it was just like these, these boxes that I've locked away for over a decade, inside were just bursting and these waves were coming through and it was just like I felt my father passing away, my teammates that have been killed, my relationship, my family stuff, all of this going through, you know, the, the survivor's guilt. And it's just, why is this happening? I can't stop it. I can't stop it. I can't stop it. So something I had to admit to myself was one, I was scared to death. And that was okay. I'm a human being. That was the first thing I had to admit was I'm a human being. I'm not a machine. People view special operations guys as the pinnacle, as, hey, these guys got their shit together, they're, un they're untouchable. No, you have a greater responsibility, and I guarantee you, you're going to have to deal with a lot more than your average person. That's not, a, that's not a cocky thing. That's just what the job asks of you. Uh, first step I had to do after that was ask for help. Some of the greatest, strongest people I've ever met in my, in my life or in my career, guys that have been in 25, 30 years in, in warfare have asked for help. And they are the first guys that come to you and go, if you're hurting, man, I need you on the team. 
get yourself squared away, get the help that you need for you, your family, whatever you got going on and fix it and then come back. And then you're always welcome here. And I went to the counselor. I maybe said 10 words over a course of an hour. I couldn't even talk. I was just crushed, crying. He asked me how to explain this. He said, Hey man, tell me where you're at. Right. I, I explained it this way, and maybe some of you listening can relate. I felt I was this high-performance NASCAR that was built for the Indy 500. That was just the pinnacle machine to do this race, right? And I got to about lap, lap 50. I'm having a great time, you know? And then all of a sudden, there's a shutter in the wheel. And I get on my headset, right? And my headset's my family, my friends, my teammates, everybody that's around me that knows me. And I'm like, hey, there's a shutter in the wheel. Something's wrong. And they're all like, no, nah, dude, you're fine. Hey, you're good. Like, I know who you, like, you've accomplished so much, your title, you know, all these things. You're fine. Keep going. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm overreacting. And then another 25 laps, there's another shutter. And I'm like, hey, I definitely felt something this time. There's something wrong. No, no, no. Don't focus that. You're fine. You're going to make it through. You're strong. You can handle anything, blah, blah, blah. Until the point this kept happening and I started to believe it because everybody around me is telling me, hey, this is hot. You're fine, man. Do you not see this? You're, you're okay. Like you're strong. Everybody goes through this. This is fine. And I'm like inside, I'm screaming. I'm like, I can't hold onto the wheel anymore until it literally felt like this car was flying around the track on fire, wheels are shaking off, steering wheels just vibrating out of my hands, and I'm just squeezing as tight as I can saying, somebody get me off this track until the point I made myself get off, which is when I had this breakdown. And But when I got into the pit, so to speak, I lift up the hood. I knew everything under there was broken, but it was like I knew nothing about cars. I had no tools and I had no idea what to fix. And that was the lowest point of my entire life of sitting there going, oh my God, I'm completely by myself and alone and I have no idea what to do. And going from special operations of going on some really, really high level of, you know, levels of accomplishment and highs of motivation and confidence and all these things to go from there straight down to the basement, man, that's a wake up call. And anybody out there that's feeling that you got to be honest with yourself because you're a human being, you're not a machine. I don't care who you are or what unit or anything else, you know, like what Raph was talking about. We're all human beings, no matter how you view these titles, we're people. And just the biggest thing that you can take away from that one, you're human being Two, ask for help. It is not weakness. It saves your life. It saves your career. It saves your family. Okay. And then the rest of it is self-reflection. Why did you let yourself get to that point? All of these things that I dealt with, I've, I've gone through them with a fine, fine tooth comb and I realize, Hey, I am still here. I am living for today. I still have purpose. What am I supposed to do right now to get better? 
if it wasn't my time, then six times God was like, Hey man, you're checking in today. Uh, you know, Hey, be at muster at the gate at uh, 0530. I'm like, all right, Hey, I'll be there. <laughs> right. But that's not the case. There's still purpose for me here. And sharing this message, what we're doing, I believe is part of this because this has all been coming out as part of a reflection. It's just like, Hey, I'm going through this. Why can't we help other people? Well, Chris, that's a, a pretty humbling story to hear, to tell the truth, you know, to, to hear a, an active GDSF guy really let us into that moment of realizing that this stuff's just piled up, you know, and we're all, no one gets through unscarred, right? Like there's challenges that are going to rise up for all of us. And, uh, you know, I'm hearing a similar theme to some of the stuff Raph was talking about, about the people around you making a lot of difference. For you, when you uh, asked for help, where did the help come from? Was it like professional help? Was it a circle of friends? Was it family? Was it a religious thing? Where was that for you, Mike? It was kind of, a, it was kind of honestly, it was really weird. So I'm not, I'm not per se, and I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm not like a Bible thumper. Okay. So I didn't grow up going to church every Sunday, but I have a close relationship with God. And uh, I talked to him a lot with a lot of these situations. Uh, I laid on the floor that night and I had no other direction. Like when you're looking at the car burning and you're like, I have no idea what's broke or how to fix it. I just laid on the floor and honestly, I just put my hands up and as silly as that may sound to some people, it's the only thing that I could muster to do. And I, and I just, I prayed. I said, God, I know you're listening to me. I, I need help. And within five minutes, okay, five minutes, my phone rings. It's one of Raph and I's very close friend. His name's Jimmy. And he calls me and goes, hey, brother, I don't know why, but I felt I needed to call and just check on you. Are you okay? I couldn't even say a word. He said, dude, pack your bags. Come to Fort Bragg right now. Yeah, that's awesome. I said, I'll be there. I packed my bags. I drove, I drove down to there and I stayed at his place for the weekend. And man, he changed a lot in my life. He gave me perception. He, he, you know, the human being things like, dude, I don't care who you are. You're a human being and you have purpose and you have all these things. And, and, you know, that's when I went to counseling. Cause I was like, look, I need to keep going down this path. And I went to counseling and all these things. Uh, it was just a weird thing. And then all these things each day after that started happening. And it was kind of like, okay, I, I see what you're putting here and I'm going to take that step. I'm going to like faith, faith with God is one thing. Faith with yourself is kind of another, but they both should jive. And that's kind of the path that I'm on right now is realizing that. But I started combining those and being like, okay, I have purpose today and I need to keep moving forward. That's awesome, man. It's almost like, you know, you're in a, you're obviously in a very highly specialized role with high mission focus and getting on and doing is, is, is what you're trying to do, you know, and being able to, to just, I reckon what I'm hearing is just reaching out and being able to say, I need from outside of me, I need something else, you know, and be a God, be it your close friend, be it a counselor, you know, the steps open up in front of you after that. It was literally like spotlights were going on in front of me and being like, hey, check this out. Look at this over here. Like, look how cool this could be. Oh, yeah. Hey, look at this person that I just put in your life. Like, they're going to be really nice to you. You know what I mean? And reaching out to guys like Raph 
and all, I mean, these guys were in the trenches with me and when I needed them the most and they were there, they were a phone call away and, and they didn't even know it. They were just pulled in because, Hey, I needed them. And, and that's what we do, man. And that's why we're doing this whole podcast. You know, I mean, this, this is the purpose of everything that we're talking about is just getting this out and talking. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think that really underscores, like, just listen to your story. I was like, man, I really think this is going to resonate to the listeners because this is the whole reason for even us doing Not Your Average Podcast, right? Because we knew that, you know, even though we've accomplished in our own, the own trajectory in our lives, man, we still have some real common stuff with just everybody. And I think anyone can really learn from just, you know, we've all been, I feel like we've, I, I feel like, and I haven't. I mean, I know your story, Paul, but you're about to tell it. But I feel like just listening to your story, like I've walked those shoes before. And I'm sure that, listen to me when I, you know, fell flat on my face. Obviously, yours was for Hornets. Mine was for SMU. I mean, it, there's so many parallels. I mean, you can, like, fill in the blank. But, I mean, it's the, the, the lineage, the, the, the writing is the same, right? The emotions are the same. It's absolutely true, man. Absolutely true. Did you want to add anything more there, Chris? You happy to move on? No, I, just just to be able to get that out, and that was a very strong story uh, that's very hard to navigate through. But the point of it is, I can talk about it now, and I can admit it for two reasons: one, to help myself, but also like exactly what Raf just said, to resonate with other people, to know you're not alone. And to know that it is possible to get out of maybe a dark place that you are. That's awesome, man. I really appreciate you uh, sharing that with us. So uh, my story is uh, 13 years ago, I had my first child and she was born super premature. Like she was right up really close to the world record. She was born at uh, 23 weeks out of 40. So she was 17 weeks early. She was uh, eight days from the world record at that time. She was uh, in metric 570 grams, which is one and a quarter pounds. And she lost weight then after she was born and went down just exactly one pound. To give you a sense of scale, my wedding ring went all the way around her thigh, like not around her arm, right around her thigh. That's how, look at your hand, that's the size of her legs. So she had a, a really, really hard road. We were not given even uh, 1% chance of survival at the beginning. And uh, there was... I think about 13 near-death experiences, many uh, operations. At one point, she had five simultaneous antibiotics running that, that escalate to try and deal with the uh, infection she was suffering from. And uh, the top one she ended up on was called ciprofloxacin. And I remember seeing that when I was deployed Gulf War II. That was an anti-anthrax that they had in stores. So I was like, when I saw that thing come out, I knew things were pretty grim. So... Anyway, she, my daughter is a fighter. She is an amazing uh, little thing. And, and, and your story just now, Mike, when you were talking about having that moment with God, like when she, when she was delivered, like she never should have survived the delivery even. Then nothing was ready. It was just a full medical emergency. And I went for a long time. And I remember getting home to my house. I've never shared this. I got home and I just stood in my bedroom and looked at the roof and had my arms out. And I really felt the presence of God. Like I knew that I'd witnessed a miracle. Where, you know, how long she was going to last was another question. Anyhow, 
she fought through all these initial battles and uh, then finally at 32 weeks gestation, we had our first conversation where that actually started to give us good news. It was a, it was a Thursday, I remember it. I had the first going home chat and it was this whole, well, here's your departure plan and how we're going to get you out of here. That afternoon, they came around and did some scans on her eye and we find out she's got this severe eye condition called retinopathy or prematurity. So then everything got set back and she had seven eye operations and they had just never seen an eye go downhill as fast as hers had. And the last, the last of the seven was super difficult. There's only five surgeons alive at that time who could uh, do that procedure. Anyhow, long story short, she ended up fully blind in her left eye, partial vision in her right. She had a quite severe developmental delay that stuck with her for quite a while. And we had 173 days in a neonatal intensive care unit. And, if you want to find an angel working on earth, it's those nurses and uh, doctors in those units. You know, those, those people are amazing. Anyhow, for me, getting through this, like every morning I'd wake up full of fear and stress and it was literally, you did not know whether you were going to get through that day. And my wife and I really had a real joint effort every morning, getting out of bed, getting to the hospital to spend time in there. And, we found that there was like no one right way to deal with stress. Like if I was not in the hospital for 12 hours a day, I found it really stressful. Whereas for my wife, Cherry, she, she actually needed to get out of there. She needed a break. And she went back to working half days. And, uh, you know, I mean, the things that that woman did for that baby is pretty extraordinary. She, like she, she fed Annie at the end of that six months. Like she kept them milk going. It's pretty amazing. Anyway, the thing that I got out of there was, Every moment that I was in there thinking about why did this happen to me, resisting the, the, the fact, like thinking about the past, why, 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 or thinking into the future with the what's going to happen, where's, where's she going to be in a week, a month, what's she going to be like when she's 20. I was in either regret for the past or anxiety and fear about the future. Both of those things were taking me out of the present moment that I'd be sitting next to her this miracle that was alive and, you know, this could be her last day. And I wasn't present to her if I was in those states of future anxiety or past regret. And so my big takeaway was get yourself present. You know, I did a lot of research, speak with the doctors, read enough that you can speak to these professionals. It might not be medical, your uh, challenge out there in uh, podcast land, but when you're talking with these people, if you can use their language, there's a massive benefit that you can do. And your, your, effect, your effectiveness is enhanced. Any, any second of the day that you're not there is a massive blow. So that whole get out of your own head, get, get yourself back in your body, find yourself where you are in that moment of challenge and cast off the fear of the future and cast off the, the regret for the past and trying to anchor yourself is where I was. Anyhow, the, the present moment in these times of challenge needs your full attention and anything that you can bring is going to, uh, it, it's needed, you know. It's going to need you 100%. If you're distracted 1%, that's 1% that you, you've lost. Hey, I, I have a question for you. Um, yeah, I mean, because obviously you've talked about the, the, the fear, right? You kind of surrendered a little bit of fear I mean, I mean, you're looking at this miracle and you just don't know how much further she's going to go. Uh, if she's going to fly away in, in that Pegasus, she likes to draw. But so how, how did you specifically handle like turning that fear around into like 
like, right. Like you're going to look at it as courage and you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm not going to sit here frozen. Cause this doesn't like, this doesn't benefit my family. This doesn't benefit any, this doesn't ben- like, right. Like it, so what did you do like mentally? Did you do like a task or was there something you were doing like a daily thing, like a workout or something? I appreciate that. So like I did, it was zero exercise. I really got out of shape pretty bad in, that, in this time. When I get home at night, I do a heap of research. So I was really on top of what was happening with her day to day because really rapid changes and, you know, learning then about the, the she had also all that uh, antibiotics and then the eye, all that sort of stuff. So that was definitely my, like I, I was not sleeping much, but, I was pushing through in the evening. So being informed really helped to know what was happening and to be able to reduce your stress to understand what really was happening rather than an imaginary thing. But another one was my wife and I really, really, really worked on both of us having an acceptance for the cards wouldn't be dealt by life. Like we live like we can choose the cards, like the cards have just been dealt out, you know, and you've got your, your five and you, you want to, there's no changing cards. There's nothing. That's it. That's the, that's the hand you have. And all you can control is your response and all you can control is getting on and making the best of that hand you've been dealt. And we did this uh, thing in the mornings. We'd, by the time we get to the hospital, like we'd wake up in fear and stress. We'd have our coffee and get ready and go to the hospital. It was really close, like 15 minute drive. And we'd go through a choosing her the way she was exercise together. I've just really, we've got this baby in this situation and we're, we are where we are and trying to get as far away from resisting, like letting that go and just powerfully choosing to have the experience that we were having and choosing to have her the way she was. And I'll tell you every single morning we walked in those doors open and we'd go in with a lightness and joy and anticipation of seeing her. We'd be able to cast off that fear in our morning routine by the time we got there. Does that answer your question? Wow. Yeah. And that's pretty powerful. I mean, so I just, I can literally visualize you and Sherry walking in kind of knowing that that's where you belong. Like, instead of like living in that fear, like I want to turn around and walk out those doors or I, I, you know, I want to close my eyes and not listen to the news. It's, it's more like, you know, this, this is where we are. This is where we need to be. That, that's pretty powerful. I think that really changed kind of the presentation, what was in front of you and just kind of accepting it. Did by any chance, cause I mean, I spoke a little bit about how my failure really affected my marriage with my wife, especially our level of intimacy. Did you guys, you guys feel that a bit? Well, it was, it was pretty funny. We had, we had a lot of, a lot of stuff when I was a first baby and it was way earlier. Like we never went to a neonatal class or anything. It was a huge disruption. We're on the West coast of Australia. So sort of where your San Diego is and all of our families right over on the East coast where, you know, two and a half thousand miles away, massive disruption. And, uh, but like, so there was stress around, I didn't know that my wife was getting stressed by just being in there all the time. Like I'd be in there 12, 16 hours. Sometimes I was waking up and going back in at 3am to check on her and stuff when I knew stuff was coming up, like procedures and so on. And the ability to have that conversation where she could, she could express to me that I can't, for her, it was too much, you know, and she needed to be able to get out and clear her head. So actually we would do that morning routine and she would go to work. Like she, she would jump, she would go she, at a government job. She'd go work in a government office in the morning. She'd do her thing and she'd come back at midday. And like that ability to, to recognize that my path didn't have to be her path. Her path didn't have to be my path. And there was no one right path. No, that was where we ended yeah. up. That was what worked for us. 
you know, that ability yeah, I mean, to say, yeah, man. But anyway, just, just in case people are wondering, she's, she's an amazing girl. She's 13. Raph spent a lot of time with her. She's an artist. She plays piano. She's pretty extraordinary. So where she ended up is just a, a, a paradigm shift away from where we started. Raph? Yeah, and I love to tell the story. I think I told Mike the story the first time I met, and this is when I knew she was really special, was the first time I met Annie was actually in her room and she was drawing, she was drawing a Pegasus. She literally, I remember her, her nose near her little whiteboard and, and like it was half drawn and then I took a step back and I was like, and I, and I knew a little bit about her condition because you had told me about it. But I was just, I was just floored. I mean, it was just one of those things where time stops because you're just like, this is amazing. I'm watching this girl who's, you know, quote unquote, legally blind and she's drawing a Pegasus. It was the most amazing thing. I mean, it just, it was such a special moment. I just, it, like, to this day, it's a very vivid, it's a very vivid scene in my head. Like, I can close my eyes and I can, I can, I can picture it. And it just, man, it just, if that doesn't make your heart beat, then you're, you are dead. I think there's definitely things in life that forces us to stop and just say, wow. There's nothing else you can say. It could be, you know, that is a beautiful example. I mean, I'm smiling the whole time. I'm like hearing this story, man, because it's just so special. But if you look at other things too, it's sometimes you just got to, you know, they say sometimes you just got to stop and smell the flowers, man, you know, but it's, it's true. Like there's something that's always there that you can just stop and just really admire and just be like, wow, how great is this thing? And, and just stops you in time. Everything else leaves your, your fears, your stress, like all of these things, you know, and I think that's something that, I know myself, but all of us can just maybe take a step back a little bit more and just focus on that one special thing that we know is really there and just admire it and just be thankful. Probably doesn't surprise either of you guys. Yeah, that I, you know, I use her for fuel all the time. You know, like if I'm having a hard time, I just, I picture some, I picture her in that crib and I picture her getting ready for surgery. I picture her with those five antibiotics running and I'm just like, there is nothing that there's nothing too strong for me. There's nothing too much. Like she's always in the back of my mind with any burden I've got to carry. I've got a reason to do it, you know, and, I, and I'll never, I'll never be able to take on the things that she's taken on. Like she is so much tougher than, than I'll ever be. This little thing. Yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. The so, silence kind of said it all right there. Yeah. So like, the three of us came up with our, really our three stories. The three of us came up with our three stories without talking to each other, you know, and you've heard Raf sharing his story about going for effectively a, a highly specialized unit, even more specialized than what he was already doing and having a hard time. And how did he get through that? Well, I was hearing stuff about taking stock, inventory, looking at the people around you, reaching out, uh, reassessing, looking at the journey rather than destination. We heard Mike just shared an unbelievable uh, adult professional life of service and striving and carrying a weight on his back. And eventually, all of us is going to reach a point where there's a breaking point. And what did he do? 
he took stock, he looked around him, he reached out and he recognized that he needed a solution that was probably more than him. And what happened, a mate reached his hand out and, you know, together they got through it, asking for help. And for me, it was finding that uh, ability to be in the present moment in the midst of the stress, in the midst of the fear. And, uh, you know, like finding the joy. So anyway, that's our three stories. I hope you out there in podcast land get something that you can apply in your life, whether it's professional, health, finances. Um, not Your Average Operator, check out the show notes. You can, you can look for Not Your Average Raf, Not Your Average Paul, and Not Your Average Mike 77 at gmail.com. Shoot us some comments, give us a like, reach out and let us know where you guys are struggling. All right, thanks very much.